0: Zechariah chapter 3, please. Would you turn your Bibles over to Zechariah 3. We're going to look at all 10 verses. And the message entitled, Israel, the Priestly Nation. Listen to the words of God to Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19.6. God declared to Moses on Mount Sinai, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. A priestly nation. That's what Israel was to be. The first vision of the four horses revealed the jealousy of God for Jerusalem and ready to punish the nations for their abuse of his people beyond what he intended in chapter 1, verse 7 through 17. Their enemies came to put fear in them now that they have returned. God is bringing them back. They're there in the land. All the visions are related to the first vision and then expand it. But all deal with God's restoration of the nation Israel. Short term post-captivity, long-term, the millennial kingdom. I'm amazed at how much material. Zachariah has more material about the millennial kingdom than all the minor prophets put together and the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, especially in chapter uh, 9 to 12 as we can get there. It's incredible. Now, the Gentile nations mentioned are in relationship to their dealing with Israel and God's judgment over them known as the time of the Gentiles. You remember the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. All right? There's a, this post-captivity. Daniel was, during those 70 years, is right after that. Now, the second vision in chapter 1, verse 18 to 21, of the four horses and the Gentile nations are scattered, are, are, are the ones who scattered Israel. Um, the four horses, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the four smiths, or carpenters, are the same four nations that are used by God to judge the previous one. In other words, Medo-Persia judged Babylon, Greece judged Medo-Persia. Okay? Now, some divide the four horsemen and then the carpenters or the smiths. I don't care how you look at it. If you look seven visions, eight visions, ten visions, you want to divide them up, I don't really care. But you do need to see the connection between them, which is the most important thing. Okay. So I don't think it's good to separate them all the time. But you can count them any way you want. Now, the third vision of chapter 2, um, the measuring line, reveals the expansion of Jerusalem by God called back the Jews um, and judged the nations. Now, again, it's short-term and then long-term all the way. Uh, it's constantly ending up in the Millennial Kingdom. The fourth vision, here in chapter 3, the redeeming or the reclothing of Joshua with uh, clean garments reveals uh, past chastening of the nation of Israel and the type of Jesus, the high priest, ultimately in the kingdom, ages we'll see. All the visions came in one night. One night, whether you count them again, 7, 8, or 10, doesn't matter to me. The date is February the 24th, 520 B.C., and they look beyond the immediate local time all the way to the end times. The second coming. And you find that all throughout. You can begin in chapter 1, verse 7 to 10 through 13. And you just mark it all the way through. Now, five months after the rebuilding of the temple was resumed. Is when Zechariah is speaking. One month before Haggai's last prophecy. Two months after the word of the Lord came to Zechariah in chapter 1. So as you look at the dates in Haggai one fifteen to 10. Zechariah 7, 1 and 7-7. You can see the dates and you can compare those. Let's look at the vision of the restoration of the priestly nation of Israel, which is described by three things. Let me read here chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And Joshua was clothed with uh, filthy garments and was standing before uh, the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, "Um, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have... Remove your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put on a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will take my, uh, keep my command, then you shall judge my house, and likewise have charged my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are wondrous signs. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its Inscription says the Lord of Hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of Hosts, every one will invite his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. The vision of the restoration of the preceding nation of Israel is described in three ways. First, the past castigation of Israel, verse one and two. Second, the present reconciliation of Israel. In verse 3 through 5. And thirdly, the future restoration of Israel. 6 to 10. It begins with the past castigation of Israel. Verse 1 and 2. Notice in verse 1, the prophet Zechariah saw the judicial court in heaven. You have to mark this. The judicial court in heaven. The ultimate authority. The one presenting the vision is the angel that interpreted the first three visions. Listen. Then he showed me, Joshua. Joshua. In the first vision, this angel said, I will show you what they are, the three horses, the red, sorrow, and the white, in chapter 1, verse 9. In the second vision, he informed Joshua about the four horses. These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, chapter 1, verse 19 and 21. Now some, again, count two visions here. That would make it three visions, okay? Again, I don't really care. The third vision of the measuring line Uh, of the angel, told another angel to tell Joshua Jerusalem would be inhabited and the people with livestock and quoting the words of Yahweh here, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, 5 through 13. So it's the angel that's been interpreted as the same one here. The he in our text is that same angel. Now he shows Zerubbabel, or Zechariah here, uh, Joshua. The vision now Again, the fourth or the fifth, we're going to count it, reveals Zachariah um, to him, Joshua, as the representative of the nation. Listen to what he says. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The context reveals Joshua represents the nation of Israel before God, not himself. The high priest was the representative of the nation. The context proves this. In verse 2, Jerusalem is chosen by God. Talks about Jerusalem. In verse 9, the land of Israel is a focus. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. One day. That is the millennial kingdom. Okay? One day. The nation. In verse 10, the priestly nation will have peace and prosperity in the kingdom. Every one will divide his neighbor under the vine and the fig tree. That's a statement of the millennial kingdom throughout Scripture, as we'll see. So the context is talking about Joshua being the representative of the nation. The high priest noticed Joshua here was the mediator between God and the nation. Joshua's name is spelled different than in Ezra. Ezra's J-E-S-H-U-A. Ezra 2-2, 5 can compare with Haggai 1-1 and here. And there's only one letter difference. It's the same person, not two different people. Now, Joshua the high priest, not as representing the nation, um, officiated the most crucial role once a year at Yom Kippur, the 10th of uh, October, when he went into the Holy of Holies, not without many sacrifices and blood. And he took two goats, one the scapegoat, one to die, and the sins of the nation would be gone away, and there would be great re- rejoicing. Okay? They don't have any of that today. They have no blood, they have no sacrifice, they have no temple. They have no basis for their forgiveness of their sin. Okay? Jesus says he would put an end to it because they didn't believe him. Now, you can find that also the Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16. Now, notice the vision revealed to Zechariah, an adversary, to fight against Joshua. And Satan stand at the right hand to oppose him. The right hand was the position of a true witness in Scripture. David said, Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand, Psalm 109 6. The right hand was a place of favor, authority, and honor in Scripture. Psalm 110, one. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. The Messianic Psalm. Matthew twenty five, thirty four, the sheep and the goat. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Okay? Remember, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist in the opening chapters of Luke, uh, was in the temple doing service, and on the right hand of the altar, the angel appeared. It says, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of incense in Luke one eleven. And he told him that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a child. His name was to be John, John the Baptist. Okay? The right hand. Now, notice Satan... Is standing at the right side of the Lord. Because he is a false and wicked angel and the father of lies. Satan, Satan, it means adversary, one who would stand and resist the people of God and the work of God. So his posture here in our context is exact to oppose Joshua. God is starting to work. Satan is active. Okay? All anti Semitism, listen to me carefully, is satanic. It comes from Satan. Okay? Hitler tapped into demons, his right hand man in the occult, the white masters. Okay? Very, very clear. Now, Satan is the adversary, the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12 10 tells us. You know, Job, God said, Have you considered my servant Job, upright man? Hates evil. Where you been, Lou? Oh, cruising up and down the earth? Hmm. Notice verse 2. The prophet Zechariah heard the reprimand and intervention of God as the attorney of the defense for Israel. This is the divine courtroom. The one addressing Satan is God the Father. And the Lord Yahweh said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The word Lord is a covenant word Yahweh as we've seen many times. He is distinct from the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity that we see here. Both are distinct from the angel interpreting and the other angel standing. So you have different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and different angels. Okay? So we want to mark this the difference. Now, the authority and power of Yahweh is greater than Satan. 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world. He's with a small g. He blinds people to the gospel. Greater is he that you, than he that's in the world. 1 John 4.4. 4. God is greater. Satan... Is a created angel, as you know, an anointed cherub. Ezekiel twenty-eight, fourteen tells us he once was second to God, and he rebelled, and he took a third of the angels with him. His name is Lucifer, son of the morning. Isaiah fourteen, twelve. Revelation twelve, four. He rebelled. He took one third of those angels with him. Satan is rebuked by God here. The reason Yahweh rebuked Satan is stated. Listen, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a Bram plucked from the fire? It is his city. He has chosen Jerusalem. Anybody who fights against Israel and Jerusalem is fighting against God. You will never have peace in Jerusalem until Jesus Christ gets come back to the earth. Okay? It's just not gonna happen. Notice the confirmation again. That Joshua represents the nation of Israel is that God has chosen the city of Jerusalem. This is repeated throughout the book. 114, 16, 17, 8, 3, 12, 3, over and over again. Jerusalem, 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 Zion, 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 Israel, over and over again. The rebuke notice stated twice, emphasizing the greater authority of God over the opposition of Satan. Michael, who contended with the devil, Disputing over the body of Moses, dared not to bring any railing really an accusation against him. He just simply said, the Lord rebuke you. I kind of shiver when people say, I rebuke you, Satan. And they might rebuke with their voice. Really? Michael, mighty archangel, says the Lord rebuke you. That's wisdom. You keep the Lord between you and Satan. Don't think you're bad, okay? Be careful. The confirmation or affirmation here. Of this confirmation of the nation being the focus and verified is verified again. And I'm I'm, I'm overemphasizing this so you understand what the context is. It's not about Joshua. It's about the nation of Israel. He's the representative. Listen to the words. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? This is a direct reference to the Babylonian captivity he just came out of. God is chasing them. He's delivered the nation. And um, now he's brought them out. In fact... Jeremiah 29 says, For thus saith the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work towards you and cause you to return to this place. He laid it on Cyrus' heart 150 years before he's even born. He's called by name. The plan how to take Babylon under the levee gate in the Euphrates River, reflecting it. Wow. The wrath of God has been poured out on them, putting them into captivity. But it's over now. John Wesley chose this text for his salvation. A brand plucked out of the fire. But that phrase has been used before. You remember our study in Amos. Amos 4.11. Amos uses the same imagery uh, against the northern kingdom. And he says, I overthrew some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand a fire plucked from the firing or burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Over and over again, the northern kingdom, God said, you did this, you didn't repent. I did this, you didn't repent. I did this, you didn't repent. I did this, you didn't repent. Okay, prepare to meet your God. It wasn't for a hug. It was for judgment. All right? Israel repented. They're back in the land. You know, it's like a father who was out there in the forest and he saw the forest... Fire starting up and he was kind of concerned and it got out of control and he knew that he had to do something. So he started burning an area of grass around him and his son. His son was all freaked out and he says, son, listen to me. The fire cannot burn the same place twice. So they hunkered down, fire went right over them. This is the same thing with your sin and mine, ladies and gentlemen. My sin has been judged. No double jeopardy with God. Okay? Just the way it is. Like the nation of Israel, God forgives sinners every sin when they come to Jesus, the high priest in heaven. The condition is repentance, the result is salvation. Listen to Hebrews seven twenty five, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Mighty High Priest. God has made us new creatures Old things pass away everything becomes new 2 Corinthians 5:21 I love that verse I put that on my dad's tombstone Raw Christian breeze 2 Corinthians 5:21 <laughs> Absolutely love it But Satan is the accuser of the brethren day and night before God a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour Revelation 12:10 1 Peter 5:8 So you be careful, you're not a sleepy Christian. Make sure you're bright-eyed, bushy tail okay? You're running the race. Have your armor on. Paul puts it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 1. What a glorious work God has done through grace in our lives. How we owe Him so much. Like the nation of Israel, now God is working on our behalf. Those of us who are saved, to align our, with the will of God by the study of the word of God. The will of God is found in the word of God. It's not found by contemplating your navel. It's not by meditating. It's by studying the word of God. To accomplish this purpose and His work in this dark world. Now you're the light. You're salt. You're totally different than before. To empower and protect you through every testing, temptation, and trial. As you depend on your high priest Jesus Christ. In Hebrews um, 4.15-16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In every point that you will ever go through or I, he was tempted without sin. So he knows exactly what you and I go through. As hard as it may seem to us and our emotions tell us different, you must believe what the word of God says. Either Jesus is telling you the truth or he's an absolute liar. Which is it? The past castigation of Israel had been executed. It's done. Notice secondly comes the present reconciliation of Israel. Verse 3 through 5. In verse 3, the prophet Zechariah saw the past sin of the nation of Israel. Though they're forgiven, he wants them to understand what's taking place here. The vision is one of guilt and shame. Now Joshua is clothed with filthy garments. The nation had been defiled and corrupted by their departure from God through idolatry that marked their own self-righteousness also. Corruption. The word filthy is a very strong expression in the Hebrew language, it is the most vile and loathsome word of character of defilement. Some translate it to mean excrement. See, we think we're so hot. We think we're so good. I've always told you, finish a sentence, good for nothing. The word appears only one other time in the Old Testament. In the next verse. Verse 4. Two times in the Old Testament. Here it is. Now, notice the vision is one of being before the divine judge and was standing before the angel. The word angel, again, capitalized correctly because it refers to the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Godhead. We noted this before the pre incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. This is called a Christophany. It appears six times in the book 111, 112, 3, 1, 3, 5, 6. And 12, eight. This one is the ultimate judge of Israel. The one who knows all things, omniscient. The one who is all-powerful, omnipotent. The one who is present everywhere at the same time, omnipresent. The one who has judged them for their sins. Already it's past. And this is how bad you were. And I've cleansed you. Does that ring a bell? See, no one can say, I was, I was clean. If you think you are, please stand up so he can laugh. Look at verse four and five. The prophet Zechariah saw the justification of Israel by God. That word sound good? Justification? Romans five, one and two? Hmm. The prophet in his vision heard the verdict of being absolved of all sin. This is from the court of heaven. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. The speaker is he, the angel of the Lord. The promised Messiah that would come to the nation about five hundred years from this time. But he would be rejected by the nation. He came to his own, his own received him not in John 1 eleven. The orders, notice were given. Those who stood before him. That's to who they were given. These have to be angels. They are ministering spirits to the earth of salvation as we've noted many times. Hebrews 1.14. The verdict was pronounced saying, take away the filthy garments from him. It is deliberately being repetitive and handing down so you see the chain of command and what's happening here. The statement is one of forgiveness for the nation's sins. Joshua is a representative, the high priest of the nation. Certainly, it includes his sin, but it's as a whole, he's a representative of the nation that's being dealt with here. Once he's cleansed, he's also able to be the mediator between God and the nation. Notice the prophet heard the verdict pronounced to Joshua in the vision. You find this chain of command? The nation is forgiven first. And to him, he says, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. The authority once against the angel of the Lord, and to him he said, The one having authority to forgive sin is God. See, I have removed your iniquity from you. What's the basis of that? Listen repentance. Repentance in God's grace based on what He has done for us. Basis of for forgiveness is always repentance that is verified by both Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai one twelve, God, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, they repented. One twelve, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, Zach- one six, they repented. If they hadn't repented, it would be a whole different message. Now notice the verification of their justification came second, and I will clothe you with. Rich robes, the nation had clothed himself with filthy garments, and God had chastened her for those seventy years. The nation now would be clothed with these robes uh, referring to robes of state or festive garments. The word appears only one other time in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 3.22, if you remember our study. This is where the women are prancing around in their prideful, luxurious jewels and fashions and hair. And God says, I'll give you scab for a covering and a rope for a belt, and I'll remove all your festive things from you. They even had a little symbol between their ankles, like clink, clink, so they can get the eye of the guys. Huh? Amazing. Nothing's changed, has it? Notice the prophet joined the celebration of the righteousness on the nation of Israel. He he, he is excited. He jumps into this whole thing. Look at verse 5. Joshua, being high priest, knew the garments of righteousness needed to be accompanied with a headdress of righteousness. So he says, and I said, let him put on a a clean turban on his head. This is an imperative command, by the way, that he gives the high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies once a year, Yom Kippur, as I stated, would wear also with the festive garment this miter with a blue uh, 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 rope on it. And it would be written on it, holiness to the Lord. The headdress has to match. Your mind has to match your conduct. got to be one. It can't be two. You find this in Exodus 39, verse 30 to 31 and 36 to 38 about the headdress. Now, the word in our text is simply turban. It's different. A clean headdress symbolizing righteousness. Joshua saw the execution of this command. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. He's checking all this out. All of these visions in one night. Man, they, who are they? They have to be angels who put the turban on his head as well as the clothes of righteousness. In the approval of forgiveness, justification, in righteous standing of the nation of Israel before God, was approved by a witness. Who is it? Look at it. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Who's that? Jesus. Their coming Messiah. Wow. You know, the cleansing of our sin is like when... um, Amy Cantons, who used to go here, she's a little girl. Now she's all grown up. Mommy, a lot of kids. But when her and her family were here, um, Amy was diagnosed with cancer. And um, at USC, they, the x actually showed completely black from her neck down to her abdomen. And and we put her on the prayer chain, anoint her and pray for her and all that. And um, as time went on, um, the doctors blew their mind because she was completely clean. Completely clean. They had to pronounce her clean of any cancer altogether. You see, sometimes doctors, they, they don't want to admit it. They can't explain it, but they, I don't know. It's the same with your sin. Other people look at you say, listen, Jack, I know who you were. I was there with you. But God has made you whiter than snow we're going to see. Okay? You need to understand this, all right? A miracle. A miracle. Oh, I'll never get tired of that miracle. I'll never forget it. The world always describes man as good, worthy, able, and loving, working for the good of humanity. I always would like to ask them a the question what planet are you looking at? Now, we do have a capacity for good because we're creating the image and likeness of God, but our bent is towards evil and darkness. And um, if you want to argue with me, I'll be here afterwards. Um, I, it won't take me long to prove you wrong. Uh, listen to Paul. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sense of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. Ephesians 2, 2-3. Now either Paul is telling the truth or he's lying. Which one is it? Children of wrath by nature. Wow. Next time you're at the hospital and you see those people up against that little glass wall there with the babies, and they're all saying, look at that little kid. And go out there and say, oh, look at a cute little sinner. Look. That's what it is. He's fully equipped. You know why? Because two big sinners got together. And what they produce? Another little sinner. Just give them time. None of the good that you and I can do will ever justify us of entering heaven or deserving it. Never. Not one. We're dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1 says. God loves us so much, ladies and gentlemen, that he's brutally honest with us regarding our loathsome condition. Isaiah puts it this way, Isaiah four six, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. That word filthy rag means a menstrual garment. The only translation that translates accurate, tragically, it's a Jehovah Witness Bible. <laughs> this is how bad your good and my good is. A menstrual garment. It's not something you come out and parade for your visitors. You get rid of it as soon as you can. It's worthless. Now, either you agree with God about this, or do you think God's just kind of exaggerating. <clears> hmm. <throat> If God put no trust in the saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy. Listen, this is great. Great, picturesque thing. Who drinks iniquity like water. Give me another glass of sin. That was your pastor. Just drank it up. Wow. Wow. The only way any person can be justified and reconciled to God is by the atoning work of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. No other way. Our filthy rags were exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul in Romans 3, 23-26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as the propitiation, that which satisfies the demands of God by his blood. Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and to justify the one who has faith in Jesus. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the power of God unto salvation, of the Jew first and the Gentile, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. He's quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. Romans 1, 16 and 17, that's the whole proposition of all Romans. And he just hammers it from every angle from one chapter to the other. What Jesus did for us by grace. God makes us whiter than snow. White garments in Jesus Christ. In fact, Psalm one fifty 7 says, Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know why the psalm says whiter than snow? Because every snowflake has a dirty heart. It's wrapped around a speck of dust. Simple. Whiter than snow. The Spirit says to the church of Sardis, You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Revelation 3 for how are they worthy? By repentance. And I said to him, Sir, Revelation seven fourteen, the tribulation period. He asked, Who are these? Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only way, whether it be the church age or the tribulation period. Or the millennial. It's always the blood of the Lamb. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 19.8. That's the second coming as we're coming back to set up the kingdom with Jesus Christ. The heavenly court calls you and I who are saved many different things. Sons, saints, daughters, elect, the bride, the body. The elect. Wow. The present reconciliation of Israel had been verified, justified completely. Notice, thirdly, comes the future restoration of Israel, verse 6 through 10. In 6 and 7, the prophet Zechariah heard the instruction given to Joshua in the vision regarding the conditional blessing in. The present restoration, listen, to the land. We're going to see this as we move through there. In verse 6 here, the pre-incarnate Christ addressed Joshua as the representative of the nation again. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, The word admonish means to testify or bear witness to a person. The words are recorded in the next verses, we'll see. But hear the word admonish, it is a charge as an imperative, it is a warning if not obeyed, it is an exhortation to obey, all those things. The time is post-captivity, the failure of the past was gone. you chasing your son, your daughter, you deal with it, it's done, celebration, it's in the past. The important factor now was obedience, if not, there would be disobedience. And more consequences. Notice the protector of Israel. In verse 7. Stated the conditions of the nation. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. If you will walk in my ways. And if you will keep my command. The title of the one addressing Joshua again. As we've come across before. The Lord of hosts. The captain of the armies of heaven. The title appears 52 times in the book. Three in this chapter. Verse 7, 9, and 10. Notice God is the protector of those who are his living in holiness. The first condition in verse 7 has to do with being faithful and loyal to God. Listen to the word. If you will walk in my ways. If you will walk in my ways. The conditional clause starts with the word if. This is called a protasis, stating the particular agreement or what's needed to be met. The word ways means the manner and habit of course of life with God's nature and character, the way God would be living this life out. The second condition has to do with being obedient to the word of God. And if you will keep my command, the word keep means to guard, retain, or to observe in obedience. The specific commands, the statutes, the judgments, so on and so forth of his word. Now again the word if makes this still part of the protasis the conditions the conditional clause you tell your son if you do this i'll get your bike the protasis if you do this the apodosis we're going to see is he gets the bike <laughs> what you promised notice the protector of Israel would also be the one to bless then you shall also judge my house, and I likewise have charge of my courts, and I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. The result or outcome of the conditional clause call now is the apodosis, describing the three benefits or consequences of that obedience. Notice the first benefit has to do with Joshua being high priest as a representative of the nation of Israel. Then you shall also judge my house. Verse 7. Second benefit has to do with Joshua's overseeing the priest and the sacrificial system for the nation of Israel and to be in fellowship with God. And likewise have charge of my courts. The third benefit has to do with Joshua being honored and his brethren, the priest, and the people, I will give you places to walk among these who stand here, his fellow priests. Now, look at verse eight through ten. The prophet Zechariah heard the interpretation. Given to Joshua in the vision regarding the prophetical priesthood in the kingdom. God does not allow us to do something dumb and mess it up. He gives us the interpretation. The angels give the interpretation. We're not left to our own subjective understanding for the book of Zechariah. doesn't care for you in verse 8. The high priest Joshua and the other priests represented something greater than themselves. God interpreted for Joshua and his fellow priests. They were types of Pointing to the ultimate high priest. Look at the connection. Stay on the trail. He was to pay close attention. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest. He and the others were types of the high priesthood of the Messiah to come. You and your companions who sit before you. For they are a wondrous sign. Wondrous sign means a token of future events. A true type has a future fulfillment. So the type points forward. The fulfillment is called the anti-type. When the anti-type is fulfilled, it confirms that there was a true, genuine type pointing to it. Okay? A lot of people use typology wrong. Let me give you the example. It's always confirmed in the New Testament if it's a true type. Jesus said in John... Three, fourteen through fifteen, speaking to Nicodemus: As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Back in Numbers, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Brass, judgment, serpent, sin, the pole, type of the cross. Jesus says, "That was speaking about Me. Whoever looks upon it with faith shall be saved." The type, the pole on the cross, the serpent. The antitype. Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross. Beans and tacos. Cupcakes. Peanut butter and jam. Type, anti-type. Many people say, well, there's a type of this. But it doesn't say that in the New Testament. And they use the word loosely. And they interpret it subjectively. And they do damage to Scripture. Notice God interpreted for Joshua, the person of the ultimate high priest. For behold... I am bringing forth, listen, my servant, the branch. See how you tie them together. I can't separate these visions. They're tied together. It's like a choo-choo train. These are the words of the father regarding the son. For behold, I am bringing my servant, the branch. The branch is the shoot or the sprout coming out of the root of Jesse. Jesus, the coming Messiah. Listen to Isaiah eleven ten. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. The prophecy is found throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 4, 2, 11, 1 and 2, 42, 1, 49, 6, Jeremiah 23, 5, Ezekiel 34, 23, 24. Punch in your computer, the branch, <laughs> All over. Notice Joshua in the Greek is the name Jesus. Joshua, Hebrew, Greek, Jesus. The representative of the nation, the true representative of the nation in the future. The high priest in the millennium. The ultimate fulfillment. It's a chuchu train hooked together, ladies and gentlemen. He interprets it for us as a Father. Paul the Apostle accepted and taught this interpretation regarding Jesus. Listen to Romans 15, 12. And again Isaiah says, he's quoting Isaiah, There shall be the root of Jesse, and he shall uh, rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now notice 9 and 10, the coming of the high priest, the Messiah, would be at the second coming to establish the kingdom age for the ultimate fulfillment of the final restoration of the nation of Israel. The nation of priests. We will never establish the kingdom. The church is smoking crack, as I said. We will never do it. Jesus sets up the kingdom. The one revealing all this is God the Father and now adds another prophetic shadow and type. Don't miss it. Choo-choo train. Listen. The Father ties the branch and the stone together as the same person. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon the stone are seven eyes. The stone is the one cut not with hands that was in the vision of Nebuchadnezzar that struck the image of the ten toes at the feet and destroyed it, and it just kept growing and and took over the whole earth. That stone cut not with a hand is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, Messiah, who destroys the kingdom of the Antichrist and sets up the kingdom. It's all tied together, ladies and gentlemen. We're not free to interpret it. The stone struck the image. Daniel 2, 34 to 35. Set up the kingdom. The seven eyes are symbolic of the complete wisdom, referring to Jesus in Isaiah. Isaiah eleven two 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon me, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. John also mentions this in Revelation 5, 6, And I looked, and behold, in the middle of the throne, and the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You see, the father assured Joshua, of the fulfillment, all that i 'm telling you this is the vision it 's going to happen. listen to the words verse nine at the end there behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts. the church fathers interpret this to mean that it was meant the scars in the and the hands and the feet of Jesus when we see him i 'm um, not sure of that I think Isaiah says we will see that, but i 'm not sure this text says that. I think this could simply mean that God re- repeating this prophecy throughout the different books and different prophets guarantees the fulfillment of it, okay? But if he said it one time, that's that guarantee enough, okay? But the repetition just reminds us of the guarantee. Now, notice the Father revealed immediately after the second coming, the kingdom age would be set up. Listen to his words. And I will remove the iniquity of the land. Listen, here's the key. In one day, the land, what? Listen, land, people, go together, Another Twinkie. Another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You can't separate them. The land, the people go together. God gave the land to Israel. They have the pink slip on it. The title deed. The father confirmed that he was referring to the kingdom age. You can't miss it. Look at verse 10. In that day, it refers to the millennial reign of Christ. The phrase in that day is mentioned 18 times in the 14 chapters. 18 times, it's key. It'll ultimately end up in the millennial kingdom. Israel reigning a nation of priests for a thousand years. The authority is from the captain of the armies of heaven, the protector of Israel, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the emblem. And symbol of peace and prosperity affirms the kingdom age. Listen to the words. Everyone will invite his neighbor under the vine and under his fig tree. This is confirmed. First Kings 4, 24 and 25. Micah 4, 4 and many others. These two emblems speak of the millennial kingdom. The Jews had the mindset, the present age, evil, the age to come, the kingdom age. The disciples kept asking Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom they're walking towards Jerusalem from Caesarea Philippi, six months from the cross, under the shadow of the cross, and they're ready to go. They think that Jesus is going to knock off Rome and set up the kingdom. That's why John's mom, James and John's mom said, can they have the right, can they have the left? Said, you know what we're talking about. They thought that he was going to set up the kingdom. They knew. It just wasn't time. Those who teach replacement theology deny God, will deal with Israel to establish the kingdom age, are calling God a liar. Let me be very clear about this. Corrupting the scriptures and are contradicting themselves as Christians. If you teach that God is through with Israel and there is no millennial kingdom, you're not biblical. You're against the Bible. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've taken probably 30%, if not more, of the Bible. And, and 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 you've done what you would do to me if I gave you a check and you want to rip me off. You write your name instead of mine. You've taken the name of Israel out and you've put church there. That's fraudulent. That's dangerous. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about God's word. You cannot add or take away or it will be added to you and taken away from you from the book of life. Are we clear on that? Wow. Jerusalem... And the temple were destroyed according to the prophecies of Jesus. Listen to Luke nineteen forty one through 44. Now as he drew near Jesus, he saw the city and wept over, saying, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come when upon you. When your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, level you and your children within in the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Wow. This was fulfilled by Titus in 70 AD. Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Matthew 24 2. Go up the stairs to the cafeteria on the right-hand side when you're at the top. You see a picture there with a bunch of stones, huge boulders. That's a picture of the stones that the Roman soldiers threw over the pinnacle. They're still there in the Cheesemaker Valley. Not one stone was left. They took it all down to get to go from the temple. Wow. The Jews rebelled constantly against God. In A.D., 132, the Romans, having decimated Jerusalem in 70 AD, began to rebuild it from the Roman emperor Hadrian as a pagan city dedicated to himself and Jupiter. The Jews rebelled for the desecration of the Temple Mount under the leading of the Simon bar Koba, considered to be Messiah by them. You know the whole rebellion of Masada, that's part of it. The uh, revolt was successful at first, but Rome crushed the rebellion, destroying everything and killing about 500,000 Jews. The remainder were sold into slavery. Now, in 135 A.D., the Roman, uh, the remains of their anger, um, the Romans, they renamed the land of Israel. What did they rename it? Provincia, Syria, Palestina, after Israel's ancient enemies, the Philistines. When you talk about Palestinians, this is where it comes from. But there's never been a Palestinian. No one would ever call themselves a Palestinian before nineteen fifty five that was Arab or Gentile. They were the Jewish remnant that was left in the land that was named after their enemies by Rome after they salted the whole land. Call CNN and give them the history so they understand history. The nation of Israel declared its independence for the third time in May 14, 1948. The people are back in the land, but not with God. It's only a partial fulfillment right now. Listen to Ezekiel 37, 3 through 5. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O oh Lord, God, you know. And again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, all dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. They're back in the land. They're not back with God yet. The pouring out of the Spirit will be during the Great Tribulation, the last half. In fact, Ezekiel 36, 26-27, the Spirit of God will be poured out upon them. Listen. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. How can you teach that God is through with Israel? How can you teach that, that, that God is no longer going to do anything with them? The church is now Israel. The nation of Israel and the church are two distinct different groups though both of them are said to be priests. God declared to Moses and Mount Sinai, as I said in Exodus nineteen six, that they were a nation of priests, a holy nation of priests. Um, in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So we, the church, are called A priesthood, a royal priesthood also. Revelation 1.6, he calls us kings and a nation of priests also. Now the church is looking for a spiritual heavenly kingdom. Israel is looking for a physical earthly kingdom. You see the difference? One's a virgin, one's a divorced woman put away. One's seeking a spiritual heavenly kingdom, the other one an earthly material kingdom. Okay? You can't mix them up. The church is the bride of Christ, looking for that wedding. Israel has been married, put away by divorce. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 37 and 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. 70 AD, 135 AD, complete. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the second coming to set up the kingdom. Wow. The future restoration of Israel had been predicted. Why do people reject it? Why do people deny it? Why do people alter it from its context? God help them. The vision of the restoration of the priestly nation of Israel has been described in these three ways, ladies and gentlemen the past castigation of Israel, the present reconciliation of Israel, and the future restoration of Israel. Now, do you believe this? Or do you think it's just stories? I hope you think it's his story, a real one, real history in advance. Lord, thank you for your love and your goodness. We love you. We thank you. Deal with our hearts, and we thank you for your word, Lord. And, that, Father, we not lean to our understanding. We take your word and exactly what it says when it's literal and when, even when it's figurative language. You mean real events taking place. And so, Lord, we thank you. We pray for every person here now that you would deal with us, Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know you. If you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. If you're looking over the Internet, right where you said you want to repent of your sins, you see yourself as a sinner by the grace of God, you can call upon him. If you're listening over the radio, wherever you are in the world, you can call on Jesus' name and be saved right now. This is your prayer to him, and he will save you and forgive you of your sin. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.